You guys can take a seat. Uh, Cornerstone, we have a special treat this morning. A very special treat this morning. We have Pastor Chris Knowles coming from Victory Baptist Church in Seagoville. I'm saying it right. I've said it wrong like 15 times from the stage before, but Seagoville, Texas, he's coming to preach this morning. He's going to round out our uh, Villains and Heroes uh, sermon series. Uh, Cornerstone, would you welcome him and his wife, Valerie, and would you welcome him on the stage this morning with a big round of applause. Please welcome him up. He was saying y'all have a big treat. I was looking around for it. I thought the treat was already here. I tell you what, your music team is phenomenal. Let's give them another hand, shall we? Anybody who can make a drummer look good. You know, you always put the drummers in the back because they're the guys that never smile because they're always beating on things, okay? And anybody who can make a drummer, man, y'all even made your drummer look good. Boy, I thank y'all so much for inviting us. I know you could have invited anyone uh, to be your guest here uh, today. Brother Bobby uh, has shared so much uh, about you uh, and has done nothing but compliment you, uh, your staff, and on behalf of Victory Baptist Church in Seagoville, we do want to say thank you uh, for the ministry that you not just have here, uh, but what you do in discipleship and how that discipleship has affected uh, so many, uh, not just on this side of the pond, so to speak, but all across the world, uh, your church is making a tremendous impact. And so I, I want to, again, on behalf of all those that's been impacted by your church, just say thank you. You know, we had the honor of having uh, your team come over and present discipleship to uh, our church this past year. Uh, and I might say that it is going phenomenally. And let me encourage you, this has not been uh, instigated by... Um, uh, Brother Bobby or any of the staff, but let me encourage you, if you're not involved uh, in discipleship, get involved. Uh, it is something that will transform your life. It'll encourage you. It'll take you deeper in your walk with the Lord. It'll draw you closer uh, to other believers. Uh, friend, it's something that you need, okay? So I pray that you will uh, consider that this morning. And before I go any further, I do want to introduce you to the best thing that's ever happened to me this side of salvation. My wife, Valerie, uh, she's here with me this morning, and I'm thankful that she was able to break away. She's involved in several ministries at our church and took time to uh, come over here with me. The next service, I'll have several of my uh, children. They're very musically uh, inclined as well. Uh, you say, which side of the family does the music uh, talent come from? Well, it's definitely not mine. How many of y'all like me? Your music talent is just turning on the radio. Can I get an amen? And even then you get static. Can I get an amen? That's me. Uh, but my children, very musically talented. They're looking forward to coming over here uh, and just being in services and experiencing what we just experienced just a moment ago. Uh, what a way to set a table for this morning. If I can't take it from here, something's wrong with me, so pray for me, uh, if you will. Uh, now, from my understanding, the past month you've been going through a series, Villains and Heroes, and they have given me the, uh, again, the all-due duty uh, to land this thing, and that's my prayer uh, to do that uh, for you this morning. And let me stop and say this for just a moment. This message is not just for the lost. And this message is for the saved as well as the lost. The reason why I say that is, is because we're about to open up the greatest book ever written. 
As a matter of fact, the greatest book that has ever landed on human ears, oh, one of my heroes in ministry has gone on to be with the Lord, Dr. Clyde Box. He would often quote a poem before he would open his Bible. He would say this, he'd say, though the cover's worn and the pages are torn, though places bear traces of tears, more precious than gold is this book, worn and old. It can shatter and scatter my fears. This book is my guide. It's a friend by my side. It can lighten and brighten my way. And each promise I find soothes and gladdens my mind as I read it and heed it each day. Friend, this morning I'm going to ask you to turn to two passages of Scripture and we're going to couple these passages together. And so if you will, if you'll take your Bibles just real quickly and turn to 1 Romans chapter 13 and then hold your spot there and then uh, we'll be going to Acts chapter 9. Now, if you are one of those that have an iPad, God bless you. You're far more intelligent than I am. Uh, If you can operate that type of technology, please see me after services. I need it, okay? Uh, If you have it on your phone, thank you once again. That means that your children uh, have educated you quickly. Again, uh, again, can I get an amen on that? Uh, But if it's okay, I'm just going to come out of this one right here, okay, and just read a couple of verses for you. We're going to go quickly, but uh, I want you to keep in mind the theme villains to heroes this morning i'm going to introduce to you to possibly the greatest villain in all of scripture again this side of satan himself i'm talking about a man who at one time and i believe and some have even will criticize me for making the comparison but i believe him to be similar to the hitler of holy scripture this man had nothing more than his aim was to not just well, condemn Christianity. He wanted to extinguish it. We're talking a man who had reached the highest, the apex, if you will, of the, well, the civilian ranks, that being of not just a Pharisee, but of what we would compare to, and I'm sure Brother Bobby has shared with you, to be of the Supreme Court of the day, that being of the Sanhedrin. Now, this man, mind you, wasn't much to look at. Historians tell us that he was possibly just barely over five feet nothing. He did have, again, quite an education put towards him. As a matter of fact, he would refer to himself as being the Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was, came from a very prominent Jewish family. I mean, he had everything, if you will, power, presence, oh, friend, political swagger. Well, this man had it all. And you would think in the eyes of the world, you would think to this man that would be all that he would need, but there would be a day whenever he would realize that finally this isn't enough. But he didn't come to this conclusion on his own. And friend, let me stop for a moment. Maybe this is you. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, oh, I've heard this before, this Jesus thing, nothing new to me. Church, I'm familiar with it. I'm comfortable right where I'm at. As a matter of fact, I'm comfortable because I do have a little money jingling in my pocket. Or I do have a little prowess outside of these doors. Or maybe you're one of those and, oh, God forbid, that you think, you know, I'm too old. Or maybe I'm too far. Friend, let me 
first say that I'm going to introduce to you not just a man who was changed, but I want to introduce to you the one that changed him. His name's Jesus Christ. And friend, whenever that name is mentioned, that ought to strike the chord of your heart. And friend, it ought to strike it hard because one day, as not just the name is going to be presented, but his face will be presented to all. And the Bible makes it clear that every knee shall bow, not might, but it shall bow. And every tongue, well, it's going to say the same thing. It's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I want you to look at the effects of the meeting that I'm talking about with this man at first. At first, we're introduced to him as Saul, but here in Romans 13, we're going to meet him, and his name's going to be different. It's Paul. Now, Paul, mind you, is the one that's writing these words in Romans 13. Now, I want you to listen closely to what he says because the introduction that I just gave you is one that kind of sounds a little off hearing these words come from his mouth. But nevertheless, Romans 13, beginning in verse 10, look at what the Bible says. It says, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. You say, why does that sound off with the Apostle Paul? Well, wait till we read Acts 9. You'll understand. But love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we, we, then when we believed. The night is far spent, and pay close attention to this. As a matter of fact, this is the crux of this passage. The night is far spent, and the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, and not in rioting and drunkenness, and not in chambering and wantonness, and not in strife and envying, he says. But listen to this, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. This right here is a challenge to all of us that know the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but it's also a warning to all those that don't. Oh friend, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, friend, I pray that you leave here today saying, boy, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. We got to hear some good music. We got to do some good worship. We got to open up God's Word. The Bible says we're two or three gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst. God guarantees something powerful to happen each time His people come together. And whenever they're coupled with His Word, friend, we leave here with marching orders to go out and to live for Him, to share Christ with others, to stand up against a world that's against us, but to do it, mind you, to do it in love. But again, the man that wrote these words, he wasn't always this way. As a matter of fact, he was a villain. I asked you to look at that second passage, and we're going to look at it here now. It's in Acts chapter 9, and mind you again, hear this man, Saul. This man, this hater of Christianity, and understand he's not just a hater. He discovered that there was a cell of Christians who had found a safe haven in a city, a city called Damascus. And he was going there to, well, to flush them out. And it wasn't enough just to flush them out. He didn't want them to be comfortable. He didn't want them to find any strength, any traction, if you will, to start spreading the word about this man named Jesus. And friend, can I step off for just a moment and warn you here? We are entering into this same arena. 
We are now being faced with laws that are being passed even in our own judicial systems that are going to be coming against Christianity, against the teachings of God's Word, against what we know to be true and what God has said as the Christian standard. And when we as Christians stand up, when we as Christians proclaim, when we as Christians go against the grain of the world, we're not going to be met with a handshake and that's okay, we can agree to disagree. There's coming a day where suffering is going to take place. Jesus himself would prophesy it. Jesus would say, listen, friends, I'm about to send you out into a world that's full of ravening wolves. Oh, friend, you're not going to be a friend of the world if you're a friend of mine. As a matter of fact, the world's going to hate you. Of course, I'm putting this in a, well, a synoptic sense. Friend, I pray that you'll listen this morning to this passage of Scripture because what's taking place here in Acts chapter 9 is taking place now here on the shores of the United States of America. One nation under God. Acts 9 verse 1, listen. And Saul, the same one that wrote Romans 13, the same individual, but not the same spirit. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings, and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went into the high priest and he desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way of what way those of Christ if he could find any Christians he wasn't going to let them sleep if he could find any believers he wasn't going to let them gather together he was going to disrupt He was going to tear apart. He's going to do everything that he could to make sure that no one else would hear the name above all names, Jesus' name. If he found any that were of this way, whether they were men, women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Oh, but pay attention to verse (laughs) 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. I'll give you three guesses who that is. First two don't count. And he fell to the earth. His light was so bright, it was so magnificent, so powerful, never seen anything like it before. Or you can read further in Acts 22, I'll touch base on it later, but he would give a testimony saying that his light was so bright, he was here on this road, in this path, at, at the noonday sun. They say that the Mediterranean sun at the height of noon is one of the brightest on the face of the planet and yet this brightness of Jesus Christ outshone the noonday sun blinded this man named Saul it says he fell to the earth and he heard a voice saying unto him Saul Saul why persecutest thou me what are you doing who do you think you are and he said who art thou Lord Ooh, his voice changed quickly <laughs> Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus. By the way, your efforts to stop my name being spread, how's that working for you? (laughs) How's that coming along? It's difficult, isn't it? Friend, let me stop again and say this. If you're kicking against God, you're, on, you're treading a very difficult path. One that you'll never win. 
Oh, sure, you may find yourself gaining ground, but it's only, again, to, and I'm saying this respectfully to your ignorance, because, friend, you'll never outdo, you'll never outthink, you'll never overpower the Almighty. There's a reason why we refer to Him as being sovereign. He is in control of all, and Jesus Christ, as we know, and Scripture tells us, that He is not just the King of all kings and Lord of all lords, but understand this, that one day He's going to come back and establish that fact one day. But here he is speaking to this Saul in a way. Now understand, God could have taken him out of of the picture quickly and rightfully so. But what Satan was using as a pawn, oh, the Savior was going to use as a promoter. (laughs) He was going to start using this man who was going around literally tearing things apart on the Christian landscape. But now again, God was going to use this man as his man. To spread the news that Jesus, oh, he's not only come in flesh, not only died on a cross, not only emptied a tomb, but that he loves you. Stop. Again, maybe you're here this morning. I'm, I'll ask the question all through this Are you Saul or are you Paul? Are you a Saul or are you a Paul? Are you one that stands? against God. Maybe you're here this morning. I don't know anyone here, as a matter of fact. And the ones that you introduced me to, I just want to say this on behalf of all visitors, you need to do a better job on that, okay? Uh, you, the first person I met this morning is Dr. Smith over here, and he made me call him doctor because he's bigger than I am. Not that he has the degree, but you know how that goes, right? I'm just joking. Y'all been extremely cordial. But maybe you're here this morning. And maybe you're one of the, of the Saul mindset. This Christianity thing's not for me. As a matter of fact, I've, I'm fine right where I'm at. I just come in here, well, because it's nice and cool. They paid the electric bill. The coffee. Can I get an amen? If there's one thing I'm taking away from you all today is your coffee bar out there. I love coffee. Hook up the caffeine IV, right? Maybe you're here because someone invited you and you just want to get them off their back, get them off of your back. Friend, I pray you listen. I pray that you'll consider this morning because I want to say this and let this ring. Jesus loves you. Jesus not only loves you, Jesus died for you. Jesus not only loves you and died for you, but friend, he's coming back one day. And if you have yet to accept him as your Lord and Savior, Finn, you'll no longer find the invitation of friendship, but you'll receive the ultimate judgment. Oh, hear this Saul, he responds to Jesus. He says, Lord, Lord, he says, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told of thee what thou must do. Let's quickly go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to encourage you today, the title of the message, The Day is at Hand. The day is at hand. And I pray that you'll realize that this is your day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship, Lord, and again, the worship that's already 
being in this room, Father, it is. It's of you. And, Father, to know that your Holy Spirit, Lord, moves, God, amongst us. And I, I pray, Lord, that, God, what's been taking place here is of a sweet-smelling savor to your throne. God, I know the, the labor, the work, this ministry, Father, has produced so many, so many positives, Lord, not just in these four walls, God, but, Lord, in, in churches, in hearts, Lord, all across the globe. And, and Father, I, I just want to, again, say thank you for these people. But, God, we know, and, Father, too familiar, Lord, that everyone coming to church isn't necessarily going to heaven and Father, maybe have fallen under the mindset of the villain, so to speak, thinking that all they need is what they've got in their pocket, pocket. All they need is what they have around them at work. All they need is what they believe is right and wrong. But Father, this morning I pray that you would, God, just do what I can't. God, that your Holy Spirit would steer a heart in the right direction. Let them see that the day is at hand. God, let them have that shining moment, Lord, that would turn them around, Father, that they would see Jesus as a Savior, see the hope of heaven, leave here rejoicing. God, please let it happen. And Lord, if you will, remove me. God, I don't want to be a distraction. I just want to be an encouragement here. So, so God, if you will, help me this morning, and thank you again for allowing us this time spent with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all the church said... Tell you a quick story. As a matter of fact, I understand that your pastor is up in the land of Ohio. And I'll be honest with you, I don't even think God knows where Ohio's at. I say that because my in-laws are from Ohio. Now, mind you, I love my in-laws, but I'm telling you this story because it goes well with what I'm about to introduce. My sister-in-law, oh, very beautiful girl, intelligent, uh, adopted, okay, and I'm saying that again. Um, because they do, we love her as as they were uh, our own part of the own, our own family. Um, but right after my wife and I were married, we hadn't been married very long, and so the in-laws wanted to take a vacation up to Ohio to introduce me to the rest of the family. Now they have the suffix correct. But the prefix is wrong. The reason why I say that is they call it a vacation, but you know what it is. It's really an interrogation. Can I get an amen? Okay. Well, it's 14 and a half hours from where we were at up to Dayton, Ohio. And so my little sister-in-law at the time, barely 10 years old, uh, she was swapping out in between, back and forth in between cars. And so we're driving, we're going up there. And about three hours outside of Ohio, she's sitting in our back seat. And all of a sudden, again, you know how things go. I mean, things running through your mind. You're playing the ABC game, you know, looking at license plates, things like this. We've been doing that the whole trip. She would get tired of our back seat. She would go sit with my in-laws in their back seat in their car. Well, here she is. She's in our back seat, and all of a sudden, the silence is broken by, I get it! I thought maybe she had discovered the cure for cancer. She was so excited. I didn't know what she was yelling about. But she said, I get it! 60 miles an hour. 60 miles an hour. If your car is going 60 miles an hour, you go 60 miles in one hour. This lady right here said, is that true? 
She was astonished. I want you to think about this. Twelve hours of passing countless mile-per-hour markers, and it finally hits her. Sixty miles an hour. I get it. The reason why I tell this story, because it's wonderful to bring it into this realm of thought for just a moment. I wonder how many times God has put signs up in front of you. You've drove past them time and time again. You've sit in services just like this. You've heard messages just like I'm about to preach. You've, you've probably read the passage of Scripture time and time again, and yet you never got it. But now all of a sudden, it's my prayer that you'll have that shining moment and say, Hey, wait, I get it. I get it. The day is at hand. It's time for me to do something. It's time for me to respond. It's time for me to to have that shining moment, that realization that I'm not here for long, so time counts. The realization of what life is all about, friends, we are not eternal in this flesh. The Bible says that one day every Every person is going to meet an appointment called death. Oh, save the Lord again, calling his children home, the rapture taking place. Every person here is going to step off in eternity through the same portal, that portal called death. And friend, without Jesus Christ entering in through that, friend, you're going to spend eternity in a place that the Bible speaks of being designed and I want you to think about this designed for the devil and his angels designed for punishment designed again for misery designed to be separated from God throughout all eternity I want you to think about this for a moment but you don't have to go there that's the good news The good news is that God has given us something, a way to know how we can spend eternity with Him. All we have to do is check out the sign. And prayerfully, you'll not just see that sign, but prayerfully this morning, we'll get it. And and I'm saying this again out of of all due respect. And you may think, well, how old was your sister-in-law? I mean, she was 10 10 years old. You know, 10-year-olds, you know, that's what this Christianity thinks. For us, for younger people, those again, I'm old. You know, I'm, I'm an old dog set in my ways. Oh, friend, let me give you something new. Jesus, let me offer something new. Salvation. Let me offer something you need. Eternal life. Oh, I just read to you in Romans 13 of a man who is trying to steer the mind of Christians to the fact that we have marching orders. Oh, that the night, it's done. The day is here. It's time for us to put on Christ. It's time for us to proclaim Christ. It's time for us to live as Christians. Time is of the essence. It's running out. But then to the lost, to the souls, oh, friend, you better pay close attention. You better pay, pray, pay close, close attention to what's going on because the day is at hand. The day is at hand for both, for both the Christian as well as the lost. I want you to look at this this morning because it's my prayer that I can bridge these two together within the next 20 minutes before your youth pastor comes up here and pulls me off of the platform. He told me that you're the smarter of the two services. Is that correct? I said, why do you consider that? He said, well, everybody knows you come to the early service to beat the Methodist to the buffet line. Can I get an amen? 
I want you to look at this real quick this morning, if you will. The day is at hand. The day is at hand here for someone to have that shining moment, that aha moment, that I've got it moment. I I see it now a moment. I realize it now a moment. But friend, if you're going to do that, point number one, write this down. Plan to be breathing. Plan to be breathing. You say, wow, this guy isn't as sharp as I thought he was. (laughs) You don't have to think about breathing. How many of y'all have one of those Apple watches on your wrist right now? Come on, it's okay. I'm not going to make fun of you. I lied. Kids gave me an Apple Watch for Father's Day a couple years ago. I'm sitting in the middle of a staff meeting. We're sitting there, and boy, I mean, we're going over some heavy stuff, you know, getting ready, planning out, kind of like your staff does here. All of a sudden, in the middle of that staff meeting, my watch vibrates. It looks at, I look at it, and it says, breathe. Breathe. A couple minutes later, it vibrates, stand up. I'm thinking, my wife got my kids to buy me this. Now I got my wife strapped to my wrist. Can I get an amen? It's telling me what to do. Oh, friend, the day is at hand. Plan to breathe. What are you talking about, Brother Chris? I want you to think about this for just a moment. The average person takes 23,000 breaths a day. Think about this. 23,000 breaths. That's about 8.5 million breaths a year. Why are we going over this? Well, bear with me. Average age of a man now is 80 years old. In that time span, you're going to suck in over 670 million breaths in your lifetime. That's a lot of breathing. But if you think about where that breath came from, you have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. And Genesis chapter 2 makes it clear where that breath first started. The Bible says that that God breathed into man. We didn't just, and all of a sudden, here we are. God breathed life into man. And what he expected from that breath, what he expected from that exhale was, thank you. Oh, that feels good. Oh, God, that feels so good. God, thank you for the sunrise. God, thank you for the sunset. God, please let this guy finish. God breathed life into us, and the exhale he expected from us was praise. In fact, Scripture makes it clear that Let everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. Say that with me. Praise the Lord. Isn't that good? Say it with me again. Praise the Lord. Let everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. Now here we're reading Acts chapter 9. Saul, he's around the age of 30. So far he's inhaled and exhaled about 270 million times. And yet his exhalings wasn't praise. His exhalings wasn't, again, of edifying the brethren. His exhalings, look at it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. What he was doing was not what God designed. What he was doing was not going to be, again, beneficial to him nor anyone else. He's exhaling hate. 
He's exhaling punishment. He's exhaling, again, exactly what God told us not to do in Scripture. And I want you to think about this, because before we judge, let me stop for a second and ask you a question. What does your breath smell like? (laughs) And good coffee, too, I might add. But what does it smell like? Again, I'm not talking about the physical aroma necessarily. I'm talking about the spiritual aroma. What does your breath smell like whenever you exhale? Is it exhaling, again, praise to God? Or is it exhaling something, well, that of a Saul? You know, I look at the writings of the Apostle Paul, and there's many regrets in his writings to who he was prior to this experience here with Christ on the road to Damascus. As a matter of fact, he would paint himself the, being the chiefest of sinners. Friend, I, I say this, and, and I say this prayerfully with you being able to grasp this, Uh, with the train of thought that I'm going with because, friend, understand this. We as Christians need to continue to learn how to breathe. To learn how to breathe because we breathe in this world's air and, friend, it's anything and everything but encouraging to our faith. We breathe it in. He'll try to, to get us to exhale things that go against God's Word. But every time we take in a breath, we need to make sure that we're being filtered. It's being filtered through a heart that is indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God and it comes out as a praise to God and nothing else. Saul didn't have that filter. Saul didn't have that. The only thing he knew how to breathe was, well, get those Christians. I'm not going to let them rest. I want to make sure that they suffer. Friend, let me encourage you today. Again, this is your day. This is your day, this is your shining moment, this is your opportunity to hear, to learn, to accept, to walk out of here again, change, encourage. This is your day. You know how I know that? Because God brought you here. The Word of God's open. Name of Jesus is praised, is lifted. You have the opportunity to leave here, change. That's how you take it in. Oh, and Christian, again, we ought to be the one that walks out of here the most joyful, the most encouraged. We ought to be going out here telling people what's happening at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We ought to be telling people what's happening in our hearts. We ought to be telling people, hey, listen, we serve a risen Savior, and He is in the world today, but He's also in my heart. Let me tell you what He's doing for me. Oh, Christian, our breath ought to smell like Psalm 144. Listen to it. Psalm 144, 15. It says, happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. We ought to be thankful that God is our God. I see people with other gods in their lives, and it's miserable. Well, if I had more money, I'd be happy. I know plenty of people who have 
so much money. As a matter of fact, it's ran through their fingers more than I'll ever see in 10 lifetimes. And I still counsel with them on a daily basis or on a weekly basis. Oh, you won't find anything else that will give you joy. You'll not find anything else that will give you peace. Friend, let me stretch it even further and even greater. You won't find anything or anyone else that will give you salvation and eternal life except Jesus Christ. Oh, we need to exhale praise. We need to prepare to breathe. Friend, listen to Titus 2. I love the way it's written in this passage of Scripture. It says, For the grace of God, verse 11, that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous, good works. Oh, friend, there's coming a day. There's coming a day when Christians will breathe in and breathe out nothing but rejoicing. There's coming a day when critics will breathe in and breathe out nothing but regret. I wish I would have (laughs) listened. I wish I would have (laughs) listened. Oh, that loudmouth preacher up there on that Sunday morning, I'd heard that message before, but I wish I would have listened. Oh, prepare to breathe. Today's the day. Prepare to breathe. The days at hand, oh, don't just get ready to breathe, but also, look at this, the day is at hand, point number two, prepare to be blinded. Prepare to be blinded. Verse 3 of Acts 9, listen to what it says, it says, and as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. I told you just a moment ago and several chapters later in Acts 22 that he was just outside of Damascus and he was blinded by everything around him because Jesus was brighter than anything, anything that this world's ever seen. And you may be familiar with this because you may have a friend or, or a family member or you're familiar with someone who has lost their eyesight or, or lost one of their senses. And you know, it's a medical, it's been medically proven. If you, if you lose one of your senses, the others are heightened. It's like the mind readapts and adapts to the loss and it gives itself a makeover, so to speak. And friend, I want you to think about this because it's like if in one sense there's an area in your brain that gets lost the other uh, the other parts of your brain start adapting they get rewired and they put together again a process that that helps you to be able to live to function to operate in effective way now let's bridge it to the spiritual life because god wants to blind you Say, hold on just a second. That doesn't sound good. Well, hear me out because he wants you to be blinded to the desires of the world, the desires of this flesh, so he can rewire you and make you an instrument that's usable for him. 
He knows that the things of this world, the temporary trappings, the the things that will draw you away, the things that will draw you into sin, He knows that those things are harmful, hurtful. They're not helpful to you. And so He wants to blind you to those things and get you focused, get you rewired, get you thinking about Him. In fact, Galatians 5, I want you to listen to this because here is the proof of the rewiring, if you will, the redirection of thought, of focus. He says, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. You think about the affections and lusts that Saul had. Well, you think he wasn't trying to climb the ladder a little higher? You think he wasn't trying to pad the bank account a little deeper? You think he wasn't trying to expand his realm of influence a, a, you know, a, a little further? Do you think that he did not think that this world, I'm going I'm to grab it by the tail, I'm going to make the most of it? What did Jesus do? He said, Saul, Saul, do I got your attention? What do you think you're doing? Why persecutest thou me? Who do you think you are? How's that working for you? Oh, Lord, what would you have me to do? I'll tell you what I have you to do. Have you to sit for three days and think about me. (laughs) Blinded literally to the rest of the world, but I'm going to be leading you by some of my own. You'll read deeper in the chapter in Acts 9. And you'll find out the rest of the story. But we need not go there this morning because I want to stop right here and help you. And I pray that you'll understand, friend, listen to me and listen closely, that God would want you to know that blindness is not a bad thing whenever it comes to, again, being blinded spiritually by God. To be blinded to the things of the flesh is to have complete vision with the Lord. Set your affection on things above, not on things upon the earth, the Bible says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, His righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. In fact, Paul wrote it this way in Romans 8. Listen to what he says. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Oh, friend, this morning, saved or lost, I pray that you'll understand it's God's grace to be blinded by Jesus. It's God's grace to be blinded by Jesus, but it's God's judgment to be blinded from Jesus. Oh, friend, prepare. If you would, prepare. Prepare to be blinded. We need it. Prepare to be blinded. It's good for us. Prepare to be blinded. Listen, the villains, and you heard all, I say all, you had a orchestra presentation given to you this past month on those who tried and failed. They've tried to go against God, go against the grain of God's Word, each one of them failing and failing miserably. The track record is proven. You can't win against God. You can only win with God. He would have you to breathe that in. That's part of his grace. He would have you to exhale. Exhale. God, thank you. Thank you. Make Jesus my Savior. 
Oh, friend, plan to breathe. Please, please, if you would, prepare to be, plan to breathe. Prepare to be blinded. And thirdly, I want to close with this. Pray to be broken. Pray to be broken. Oh, verse 5, Acts 9. And he said, Who art thou, O Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Blank check. Do you get it? Do you get it? What Paul wrote in Romans, Saul was communicating in Acts 9. We need to give God the blank check of our lives and say, here, fill it out. God, what would you have me to do? Do you get it? Are you getting this this morning? Have you ever met someone who just doesn't get it? Heard about the three ladies who went and robbed a bank. One of them a brunette, one of them a redhead, and one of them a blonde. Again, if you're blonde this morning, this is not nothing against you. It's just a story. Or is it? They go and they rob a bank. They run away from the police, and they come around the corner, and there's a bunch of these water barrels, and they jump in these water barrels trying to hide from the police. The police go over, and they're searching these water barrels, and they're kind of banging on the side of them, seeing if there's anything in them. They bang on the one that the brunette's in, and she goes, Whoo! starts barking like a dog. Police officer goes, must be a dog in there. Bang on a couple more barrels. They go to the one that the redhead's in. They bang on that one. She goes, like a cat. Oh, it must be a cat. You know what's coming next. Finally gets the one with the blonde in it. They bang on that one. She goes, water. (laughs) If I have to explain that to you, you may be blonde. You ever met someone that just doesn't get it? Uh, I'll close with this. About eight years ago, actually nine years ago now, sitting on the third floor of Baylor Scott and White, it was Baylor Hospital at the time, downtown Dallas. If you know anything about Baylor, third floor is not a good one to be on because that's the ICU. We're in the waiting room there. A young man that was in our high school had gotten on one of those small motorcycles. We call them crotch rockets, little bitty motorcycles. First time he'd ever been on a motorcycle before. And and understand this young man, very active in our youth department. His upbringing, not the best. He was living with his grandparents because his mother was a drug addict. He didn't want to have anything to do with his father. They had abandoned, he had abandoned him and his sister and brother at an early age and so the grandparents were raising him cody phelps had gotten on a motorcycle and was taken off down the street and lost control of it and went head first into a brick mailbox there's about a hundred of us in the waiting room that day and the doctor comes out with the highway patrolman and says 
uh, who's kind of over all this. And I went over and I was speaking with him and I talked to the highway patrolman. He said, listen, I want to tell you something. Once the mother gets here, don't let her go back there. He's hardly recognizable. They're keeping him alive just long enough for her to come and say goodbye because that's pretty much it. Wasn't too long after that, they pulled the plug. Cody went on to be with the Lord, and oh, we would have his funeral several days later. And boy, you would think, man, that's a that's a hard ending. Why would God do something like that? As a matter of fact, that question has been asked. God, why would you do something like that? Maybe that's happened to you. Cody's grandfather. John Culver. His wife, Sherry, had been a member of our church for right at, oh, I don't know, right around seven, eight years at the time. Beautiful lady, about mid-60s, and boy, I mean, just loved the Lord. She was involved everywhere, sing like an angel. I mean, just a phenomenal lady, wonderful testimony. She'd been praying for her husband, John, for over 40 years. Understand, John, he's a man's man. Oh, Army vet, or excuse me, Navy vet. Korean War. Hard drinker, gambler, you name it, that was this man. And his wife came home week after week from church. John, will you go to church with me? I don't need that mess. I've got horses to deal with out in the barn, hay to bring into the barn. I've got other things to do. It's finally after Cody's funeral, I get a phone call. And I had talked to him before about the Lord, and boy, you talk about a harsh response. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. He'd heard enough about Jesus. God had done enough to him. There's something different about John on the phone that day. He said, I need to talk to you. I said, what's going on, brother? He goes, can you come over to the house? I go walking into that house. Of course, the house isn't much. They've got a little dinette table sitting there in the kitchen you can just smell the all the dinners that have been cooked in there and the conversations that they've had and here I see this scruff I mean rough old man I mean he had cussed his way through life now tears running down his face he said I want you to tell me why loving God would take away my grandson why would a God who says he's a God of love, why, why would he take away my grandson like that? And I said, brother, I don't have the answer to that, but I do have one thing I can give you. His name is Jesus Christ. You know, the amazing thing was I was expecting a hard wall to go up. I, I was expecting to see something, again, whoa, hold on, I've heard this before, we're not going to do this any longer. You go home, get out of here, I don't need this Jesus stuff. But all of a sudden, I saw a man who was hardened all of a sudden break. All of a sudden, those tears of anguish became tears of joy as he asked Jesus to come into his heart and to be his Lord and Savior. Now, mind you, that's eight years ago. Let me tell you where he is today. He sits around the table in what we call our war room. He's one of our deacons. And every time you talk to him now, it's like, hey, brother, isn't it a great day? Love you, brother. 
To hear John Culver say, I love you, boy, something had to change. Let me say this, something had to be broken. I'm going to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye closed. I, I don't, I'm not familiar with how you do invitations around here, so please forgive me. Is it all right if I ask you a question? How many of you, and please no one looking, I wonder who in here this morning could slip your hand up and say, Brother Chris, I've been broken before. I've been broken in my heart because of Jesus Christ. And now I used to breathe all those same things out, those exhales of, again, not appreciation to the Lord, but But now because of Jesus, I do breathe that praise. I do thank God and I do thank him that, oh, he didn't just break me. I'm not just breathing different, but I am blinded to the world. I see things different now. And I just thank God for it. If that's you this morning, let me put it this way. How many of you know that you're saved? Can you slip your hand up? I know that I'm saved. I know that I am. And please don't raise it unless you know. And we're not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out or anything like that. God bless you. Thank you for your, thank you for your testimony. I wonder, you can put your hands down. I wonder in here who could possibly raise their hand and say, Brother Chris, you talk about today being the day. You talk about me seeing those signs, having that moment. You know, I've, I've never actually had that. Actually, there is something speaking to me this morning, though. Never been saved, but I'd like to know more about it. Is there anyone like that? I've never been saved. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that that could slip their hands up? Brother Chris, would you mind praying for me? And again, I'm not going to drag you down an aisle or anything like that, but would you let me pray for you? Anyone like that? Brother Chris, pray for me. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I stepped off in eternity where I would go or how about this Christian pray for me brother Chris you know my breath it has a smell to it it's not a praise I've been going through some rough patches I don't want to act the villain I want to have the transformation the life that the apostle Paul had from that villain to hero anyone like that brother Chris pray for me I've got some things going on in my life I just need some prayer over anyone like that. You can be honest. Slip your hand up. Brother Chris, will you pray for me? Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, God, that we can read a story about a man who was so wrong in so many ways, but you took his life, you turned it around, you took the breathings of threatenings and slaughter, and you turned them into praise and and glory for you. And God, I pray that that would be the transformation we would see in lives, Lord, all through this congregation. God, that we would leave here telling others what Jesus has done for us. Thank you for showing us how to go from a villain to a hero. Thank you for the greatest hero, Jesus Christ. It's his precious and holy name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you've made decisions, if you've prayed along with Chris, would you come and let somebody know at the front? Would you let us know?
If you're coming to join our church this morning, would you come? Would you come to the front? We'd love to pray with you for a moment. If, you're, if you'd like to be baptized, come to the front, please. We would love to meet with you here just for a minute. Would you, everybody stand as we sing here for a couple moments as we deal with the people that are coming to the front? If you need some prayer time, come to the front. Be be available to the, to the front here, guys, and, and just spend some moments asking God what's next. Am I a Saul or am I a Paul? What a great question. What a great question. Let's sing.